Hello and welcome to the Future of Learning podcast and I'm your host Lloyd Dean. In today's episode we're going to explore some research about massive open online courses or MOOCs. So lots of people have opinions about why MOOCs maybe are good or not so good and we thought we'd actually look at some research that my guest has undertaken. So today's guest is Sheila McNeil. Sheila is Vice Chair of the Association for Learning Technologies and and is also a Senior Lecturer in Digital Learning at Glasgow University. I hope you guys enjoy the show. question is to talk about uh, one of the research journals you did back in 2014 so this was signals of success and self-directed learning i'm really interested to know a bit more about this paper and some of the main questions you were trying to answer sure well this was a paper that i co-authored with some fellow students and actually a tutor on involved in the MOOC um, and it was a really um, interesting process to be involved in. We became almost a, a self-selecting group during the time that the MOOC was running and um, we kept in contact via social media. We've still not all met in person. I've met some of my colleagues in person but not all of them because we're from all around the world. Um, and. We kept in touch via social media during the MOOC and obviously after, and we, we still keep in, in, in touch. And there was just a tweet that was sent out from Yishi, who was one of the, the course tutors. And we just got talking about things. And we, um, through a process of um, serendipity and questioning, why don't we do this? We decided to write a paper about how we felt that success could be measured on a MOOC because success measures and and uh, retention rates in MOOCs had, had been getting quite a lot of um, attention and still do. Um, and we wanted to take a more of a, an autoethnographic uh, approach. So instead of looking at um, the hard data, actually looking at our own experiences as, as students and how we felt um, we had succeeded in the MOOC. Um, so that's basically where it came from. Yeah, okay. And what was the, um, out of interest, what was the, the MOOC about in terms of content? Um, it was, uh, sorry, I should have said that at the beginning. It was um, about learning design. So it was actually about designing learning experiences. So we're all involved in education in one way or another um, in different sectors and different countries. So it was a, it was quite a, a, an cross-disciplinary MOOC, if you like, um, but quite interesting, but very much from that education and how to how to design successful learning. Yeah, okay. And so you had the the theme of the questions then of you know how would a learner define success, um, and then exploring the connection and self efficacy and the self directed strategies. Why? Um, and this is a, <laughs> it's a not a, a, a not to sound too harsh as saying why. What, why those particular questions? What were the the, the personal reasons maybe for yourself and some of the other candidates that you were discussing on on your Twitter conversations and so forth? Um, I think at that time there was a lot of research that was coming out, uh, particularly about the sort of early MOOCs. And this was not long after, you know, 2012, which was badged the year of the MOOC, when there was a lot of hype about MOOCs, about them, you know, basically replacing higher education as we know it. And they were going to transform education but 
um, at the same time as this hype, some of the early findings that were coming out was that although MOOCs were getting huge sign-up numbers, they were also getting equally huge dropout numbers. So a lot of people would sign up, but the completion rates were very low. Um, and also uh, what seemed to be a, an emerging pattern at that time was actually the people that were taking MOOCs were people who already had a first degree as well. So um, the MOOC itself that we did, Olds MOOC, um, I think fell into a similar pattern, had quite a high sign-up, then kind of engagement dropped off. But we were really interested in taking a slightly different approach and actually um, allowing the learner voice to come through and be part of this um, wider research picture, if you like. Mm -hmm. And um, I have so many questions. I'm going to be really patient not to dive <laughs> in, in questions before. We need to go on a linear journey here, I think, to start <laughs> with. So what were the, what were the main findings uh, for you guys? Uh, I think the main findings were that um, we all had slightly different motivations for signing onto the MOOC and taking part. We all um, had different measures of success, if, if you like. Um, we were all quite curious about what, what they were because I think um, they're probably still not completely defined in, in for us either. But I think we were just very curious about exploring our own motivations. And also, I think one of the, the key things for this was um, that we'd all stayed in touch and we became quite um, quite a close-knit little community, if you like. And, you know, we, we're still all in touch, as I say, we've, we've not all met in person. But we felt a real sense of camaraderie as well. So I think we really we were really keen to um, share our different perspectives um, and also what it's... It, the, the MOOC is, that experience has been quite a jumping off point for, for a number of us as well. Um, I think it, it did impact our own professional development in a way that we didn't expect, or I don't think anyone that actually was involved in designing the MOOC would have ex expected. It's certainly, certainly not any of the defined learning outcomes from the, the, the MOOC. Could you, you know, when you say it's impacted your own development and others, can you give us some detail there? Uh, yeah, well, for example, Penny Bentley, uh, she was a school teacher in, in Australia. Um, she started doing a PhD um, not long after um, doing the MOOC. And I think it was something she had thought about. But I think that um, the experience of, of doing that kind of um, helped inspire her or, or I suppose give her confidence to take that leap. Um, for myself, I think what it really gave me and, and uh, for every MOOC that I have um I have done um, it was more about me trying to put myself back in the in in the learner um, position um, and sort of reacquaint myself with that learner experience if you like so I, I really wanted to experience things from a learner perspective and, and, and be able to reflect on that and that's had an impact on my practice um, in terms of the learning materials that I'm involved in, the teaching that I do, um, there are things that I, I suppose it's more about my, my own learning and my teaching preferences that have come out from that, the things that I, I found that work. It's, some of it confirmed things that I, I had thought about. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think it's just, it, it, is, it was just Oldsmook and, and, and other MOOCs that I did at that time really helped me reflect on my own practice and my own, I suppose, my own ethnographic 
graphic journey as well, my own autoethnography. Um, so that it was really useful in that sense. Mm-hmm. And um, MOOCs have taken a bit of a battering, I think, over the last couple of years. Um, and you, you mentioned one of the uh, the things about dropout and completion, which is often um, cited to me when I discuss MOOCs with other professionals. But the, the caveat to that is, you know, if I'm going to do, um, well, the caveat to that, I think, is that we assume that uh, learning has a finite beginning and end. Where actually, like you, one of the reflections I took, if, if I was to go and involve myself with a MOOC, my motivations might be for a given topic of discussion. And I've got that. It doesn't necessarily mean that I did not complete with the rest of the content that the, you know, the um, materials were bad. Some Lots of people will read multiple books at any given time, but may only start on a given chapter, put it back into the, onto the shelf and pick it up another time when there's um, a reason to, to, to do that. It doesn't necessarily make the book bad. It doesn't necessarily mean that the, um, the person's perception of that book is bad. Um, is that a fair reflection? Where, where would you sit with what I've just said there as well? Yeah, I think I, I, can, I can agree with that to a point. I, th- I think the... The, one of the main issues with MOOCs um, early on was was the hype that was that was generated around them about they were going to be this radical disruptive force, whereas in fact they haven't been, um, and some of the things that they promised to do, um, particularly in terms of opening up education, they really didn't they haven't completely fulfilled that promise uh, and maybe that's not such a bad thing I think what's happened is that the universe well higher education has kind of subsumed MOOCs into its own practice I think one of the things that personally I was always quite wary of that, that there seemed to be um, with some of the I, I and I guess this was coming mainly from North America from that kind of neoliberal educational technology narrative that um, there'd never been any kind of distance or online learning, that nobody knew anything about that type of delivery, that mode of delivery, which was absolutely untrue. You know, there's a, a, a long history of open education, of distance education across the world. And of course, here in, in, in the UK, we, we have the Open University, which is kind of the, the shining example of that. And that was really a radical transformation for um for education when it first opened in the 60s. Um, but yes, I think what, what it showed was that, yes, you could have, have um, interest, you could get lots of numbers because I think people are curious and if, and if you get something where you don't have to, you can sign up for an educational experience where you don't have to have a formal co- qualification um, and you really don't have to do anything, then um, that that's great. But actually sustaining that interest um, is what, an educational experience is is about. So I think what some of the early MOOC um, conversations or narratives they they forgot about that. Um, you know how you actually manage a learning experience, and when you're doing that at scale, it's very very tricky to 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 maintain people. Um, and so I th- that was one of the. the one of the big things that was there, but that, that's why we wanted to take a slightly different approach to kind of look at it, to see what were the motivations for us as a group of students to, to keep us going, because um, it, it's hard work. Any educational experience, is, you know, to get the most out of it does take a bit of effort. So I think some people thought that the fact that you could just sign up for free meant you didn't have to do very much work. Um <laughs> 
which is common, you know, comes to a lot of the things that, that we understand about traditional um, face-to-face education are, you know, they, they apply in, on, on any kind of online or distance situation as well. And we know that. We've got research um, that has discussed that for many years. And um, But it was quite interesting that there seemed to be, with MOOCs, that, that seemed to just, just by a certain sector wasn't talked about. Mm-hmm. And was there anything, you know, the, the study, and we'll, we'll share the article out on the podcast notes, um, gives a real, re- really good discussion um, on some of the t- topics. But what when the question was set of how do learners define a s- the s- success in a MOOC, what really stood out for you? I, I think it was probably um, quite a lot of it was around learner autonomy. Um, and the being able to actually define your own measures of success, um, and I think that that became stronger as the course developed. And I have to say, for the the people that that were running the course and developed it, they were very open to that for for all of us to do slightly different things than they had maybe expected or had planned for. But I think that's quite a sophisticated um, and advanced form of learning to come to that realisation um, doesn't happen a lot. It takes quite a bit of effort to, to do that. And I think many of us, when we go through, I'm going to put air quotes around here, which is useful, useless for Good Joey Tribbiani. Uh, okay. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that traditional learning experience where we're, we're always talking about, you know, learner autonomy and, and you know, um, self-directed learners to become and to actually recognize yourself as a self-directed learner that that's that takes quite a lot I think for people to do that to be in that position um and I think that's a constant challenge but personally for me I think that my whole experience was with MOOCs really helped me define that and to articulate that in a way that I hadn't done before um I think a lot of people were just presumed um, because of what I do, that I would be a self-regulated, um, self-motivated learner. But, you know, I, I am human. I'm like everybody else. Um, I like to be told what to do, and I can get confused if I've not got clear um, directions um, and guidance. Um, but I think part of the discussion that we had writing this paper was the fact that we had that more of that flexibility, and there was almost like a dawning realisation on us all that actually... Um, and certainly this is something that I felt very strongly is that I very early on took control of what I was going to do. I had very much a, a strategy for getting through each week. And sometimes, you know, there, there, there was some alignment with the, the actual plans and learning outcomes from that week, but there wasn't a direct correlation. But that was fine. That worked. That's what worked for me. And um, as I say, the, the people that were running the, the course as well, that worked. They were, they were more than happy with that as well. Mm-hmm. One of the other reflections I had um, reading the report was that the way in which the tools were designed, so you guys had Twitter chats, um, Google yeah. Hangouts. Yeah. Well, MOOCs today, are, for some organisations, a business model. And so yeah. I don't. the ones I've been involved with probably don't want to push you out to um, those types of environments where it was actually naturally, if you were on a, you know, having a Twitter conversation, I'm sure you would then engage with further learning on Twitter. Um, yeah. That's one, one example. That's what one, for me, one of the um, limitations of uh, some MOOCs today. Um, yeah. And I say some MOOCs probably because there aren't, there doesn't seem to be a common standard 
So when we when people make comments on MOOC, really what they're saying is this MOOC that I studied. <laughs> they don't say that. They put MOOCs all as as one um, entity, one thing. Mm. Um, to, but I'll come back to that in a minute, maybe. Your re- research is in twenty fourteen. What up to now? Then has further research come out to support your findings? Where where's where's the research gone for for MOOCs over um, the last few years? There's still, I mean, it's still an active area of research. There's a lot of um, research around learning analytics that is done through MOOCs, um, partly because they have big numbers. So um, there's a lot of um, of work that's that's been done there. And if you look to um, uh, Solar, which is the Society for Research and Learning Analytics, they have an annual conference every year called lack learning analytics and knowledge uh, there's lots of research that's being done there in terms of um how people learn you know that what's happening in discussion groups those types of things there's also other ongoing research research from a, a variety of angles around about MOOCs I mean most um MOOC providers are providing re- research future learn um the UK, the probably biggest UK provider of, of MOOCs and um, platform for MOOCs, and um, it, it releases regularly releases um, research as well. So it's it's going off in different directions. There's there are researchers, people like Katie Jordan, who is one of the first people to look at some of the data that was coming out from from MOOCs in terms of the the dropout and retention. Katie's still doing a lot of work around about that. So there are many things that, that are going on. Um, and the conference that we put our paper into, the, the, the European MOOC conference, that's still ongoing. So there's still active research in the area. Um, and it, it's like every field, you know, it, it depending on the, the researchers involved and, and their particular interests, um, it will go down a particular path or will focus on a particular thing. I think to go back to your early question about there not being a standard for MOOCs, um, I think that's the same for for the research. You know, it's a huge area. I think you're right. MOOCs seem to, people have this perception that it's this kind of box, that it's it's this one homogenous thing, whereas they're not. They're very, very different. and, you know, there's what people call the X MOOC and the C MOOC. So an X MOOC is more kind of a, I suppose, a, a, something that has been, has had quite a bit of, an, you know, takes more, maybe more a, a traditional instructional design approach where you would have, you know, you have the video, you have a bit of text, you have a quiz, and it follows that pattern. The C MOOC, which was very much what old MOOC was, took that, it's more about constructivist forms of learning and connectivism. So it was actively trying to get people to communicate communicate and to try new things so it was more about you know the actual the learners themselves and that kind of um again that I suppose that does go back to self-efficacy as well um but that was that was at the back of that so I think sometimes that has been lost a little bit probably not by people who are actively involved in MOOCs but I think some of the maybe the more commercial training side of MOOCs will probably um go for the the, the kind of the more ex-MOOC type approach which can be very effective but as as an, a, a wider learning experience I'm not so sure I think we, we still want to be trying to to have more kind of connectivism and and, and and really give learners that sense and that opportunity to connect more to to not always be in a closed box and I think that's the other thing about MOOCs stand for massively open online courses and what seems to have been happen, happened is that the open bit has been reduced in size because there are very few 
truly open courses that are out there anymore. Um, it, it begs the question of what makes, you know, in terms of numbers then, what makes a MOOC a MOOC? Well, very good question. I wouldn't, I wouldn't even... <laughs> <laughs> well, I, get what, I get what you're saying about the, the corporate side. So um, my day-to-day job is in that environment. And one of the reflections I have, first of all, will be on blended learning. So you know, when pedagogy is applied to blended learning, it's a blooming good um, way to, to get people engaged and learn. The trouble then comes if it's seen as a, um, a business solution. So in terms of efficiencies, because then normally what you find is you do a couple of days face to face and it's a, OK, go on to the um, go on to the VLE or the LMS and just do that bit of learning. And it doesn't really there's not a golden thread. There's not a real call to action. Uh, the design is um, the design is built on maybe a cost model and or the pedagogy. And I, and I kind of to your point, see the same with the MOOC. Um, so in large organizations, an organization of 50,000 people, let's say. Um, if they were to, and they're global, and they want to connect their leaders, a MOOC would be absolutely fantastic to, you know, share that common culture and connect people. But I just don't think organisations are at there. And again, I, my observation is because of there's a lack of understanding where on the probably on the pedagogy or the the, the design um, around that. Uh, yeah, I think so. I think that it, it, it's more fundamental than that, actually, Lloyd. I think there's um, there's maybe um, People conflate training and learning um, or training and education and, and a wider educational experience. So there is, you know, there are certain things that, you know, we definitely need all need an element of training. We need to functionally know how to do stuff, if you like. If you want to take it to the next level and actually really understand and have um, more of a a cognitive experience if you like if you want to make people think or have a wider awareness then you have to bring in a wider contextualization and that's where you know you can't really have any kind of learning scenario without some sort of pedagogy anyway but that's when you need to start thinking about broader things and you know um getting people to connect and getting people to share that can take that takes a lot of work and that's where design comes in and that's where teaching comes in um, and that, that's a big thing and you know designing activities and scaffolding learning so that, that happens that that takes time and that takes money um, and going back to you know some I wouldn't just say corporate leaders I would say leaders in higher education as well um, some of them are much more open to sharing their experiences to not just their peers but to the, the wider education world, if you like, than others. I think um, it, it's one of those ironies. People at the top sometimes don't really like talking that much or sharing as much about their experience um, as others. And they maybe have an expectation on, on what their employees should do when they don't do that themselves. And I think that's, you know, probably because they're very, very busy people as well. But there, there's a point where I think people think, well, I don't have to do that anymore because I do this very important business management, whatever, running the company side of things. <laughs> and obviously that's making me, me, me making sweeping generalizations. But I think you've got, you've got to be very careful in, in terms of um, if you want to take some of the concepts of, of open, you know, massive online courses, then, then that's absolutely fine. But that, again learner expectations and being very explicit about them is absolutely fundamental to a successful learning experience because people have got to know why they're they're being asked to do something um i'm sure that everyone i think everyone who works in an office just now we all have to do you know health and safety and you know how to do you know the the general health and safety at work training 
now my goodness I know I have to do it but the fact that I just know I have to do it I just think you know I'm never going to get that hour back in my life and that's a massive thing that we all have to do but as an educational experience it's not particularly inspiring um so that I think we have to when we when we're talking about any educational experience we have to be quite clear about what the the outcomes are why are we doing it um and when is it appropriate and, and if we do want people to um have more than just a well this is just a quick kind of just in time thing so that you know how to use x or y or um how to you know whatever it is in your, in your context or if you want them to have a wider conversation about how are we going to plan for this big thing that's coming up what about this then you have to have structures in place to support that um, and I think that's again where people's expectations of technology technology fall, fall short, because we can provide platforms and we can provide multiple communication channels, but you still need humans to actually make that communication happen and to make that meaningful. And I think that gets forgotten about quite a lot. Mm. And one of my one of my questions was going to be, you know, what do MOOCs need to do to evolve in your mind? And it's a question loaded, not just to MOOCs, right? It's the design of MOOCs, and you're touching upon it then. But do you have any other things that come to mind about this? Well, I'll leave it at that. Um, I don't. I mean, I think you know there are many people I'm sure that are doing lots of of, of good work um, and and great things in in, in MOOCs. Um, and so I wouldn't I, I wouldn't you know presume to say what what they should be doing. I'm, I'm merely but, playing devil's advocate. That's, um, that's. <laughs> But I, you know, it's like everything. I think you know, if if you start with good design principles and think about what it is you're actually wanting the student to do, then that's a a good starting point. And we know how to do that within education. We should be doing that anyway with all our learning experiences. Um, I, I I think I would like to see a bit more of the openness put back into books, in that you'd be able to um, access content for longer, um, forever, actually. Um, and I think MOOCs have become a business. You know, they've had to, they had massive, um, you know, angel startup f- funding. They've got to pay that back now. Um, so the business of education can be quite a challenge. You know, making money is a challenge. And I think um, that's something we need to think about. You know, this sort of, um, again, this goes back to the stuff that what we're talking about, the difference between an X MOOC and a C MOOC and, and you know, people's expectations you, you just watch a little video and bite-sized education and that's all well and good and it does definitely have a place but I think we are at a point where we're in a danger just now of um, the drive for personalized learning experiences to actually be a bit of a, a disguise for just mass homogenization of education so you actually think you're getting a personalized learning experience but three and a half million other people are actually having exactly the same, exactly the same experience as you are. Um, and that, that, that shuts down the opportunities for extended conversation, for extended collaboration, to um, communicate out with the predefined um, channels of a, a defined course, because they will take you through and they will tell you where you should go and where you should interact and who you should interact with and you mentioned a minute ago that uh, when it comes to designing MOOCs that really should be sewn up because everyone knows the educational pedagogic principles but let's assume they they don't so what uh-huh. what three what are the three what are the pillars um, for you for designing a, a MOOC 
Oh, well, um, I suppose it's like, it's, it's basic um, educational design. So one of, a, a good mantra that is certainly not mine alone, but, you know, it's like start with the end in mind. I mean, what is it you actually want the, the learners to come away with at the end of it? And that will help you define your learning outcomes. And then if you are creating activities that align to those um, learning activities, then that's that's a pretty good starting point. Um, but you've got to think about how, you, you know, you've got, as with everything, you have to think about the learner. You know, what what is it that they're going to do? Then how are you going to deliver that? How are you going to deliver that at scale if you're doing a, a MOOC? So in terms of activities and assessments, what, what is actually going to be feasible? What, what will work for your teaching team and for your learners? Mm-hmm. Thank you. So that's, um, that's the grilling done for now, uh, <laughs> the main content. So thank you. And I've got a couple of quick fire questions. And what I normally say here, Ashida, is you get about 30 seconds to, to respond. Um, so there's only three. So what sources mm. or resources are you learning from right now? My network mainly. Um, I use social media a lot and um, I find the people, um, things that people share, how they're designing, uh, various things that uh, I love the serendipity of that. Um, Also, there's some formal things in terms of the research and the work that I'm doing, but I I, I learn a huge amount from other people. Which platform are you? um... Um, Twitter probably just now is my my kind of my go-to place. Okay. And which one person then on Twitter would you recommend people follow to learn? Oh, my goodness. I couldn't give you one. I'd probably have to send you a, a list of, okay. of, of different people. I think, though, if you're in the UK and you're looking um, for a community to to um, discuss and get ideas about learning and t- teaching, the Association of Learning Technology is a great place to start, and that's a great community um, to to interact with, um, and that's open to everyone and any you know across uh, all education sectors yeah i'm hooked up to those um to that channel and i really like the resources that are shared as well so i'd echo that um thank you and if you could change one thing about your industry what would it be people calling education an industry (laughs) my second then would be why (laughs) let's expand on that (laughs) well i I think that education is not an, an industry. I think what, education, I think, um, is quite different to uh, a, a large business. There are some similarities, but it doesn't have the same drivers and goals. I think to empower and to extend knowledge creation and sharing, which is the ultimate ambition of, of education, uh, that's not that that can't be industrialized and that shouldn't be industrialized so i would like to see less of that language being used um around about education by politicians and by us us in the sector as well mm-hmm. yeah I, I i kind of agree because um i think maybe in the in the area that i work now my, my previous life was in um, further education we really get caught in the semantics of training, what's training, what's learning, what's development, yeah. what's education. Um, mm. Yeah. Okay. Good challenge towards me there as well. <laughs> if um, <laughs> listeners want to learn more uh, about you or from you, where, where sh- could they go? Well, I have a blog, um, how Sheila sees it, 
net. So I try and blog about once a week. Um, I've been a bit slow over summer. Um, I'm also on Twitter as well at Sheila McGinn. Um, just and there's a long story why, why it's there. So I'm on Twitter, so you can find me there. But they're the two main places. Or I'm on LinkedIn, um, Sheila McNeil. So um, I'm also the chair of Alt. Um, so you can find out a bit about me there. But those are the main sources just now. Yeah, okay. We'll put all of those links into the podcast notes for people as well. Well, um, Sheila, thank you for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk about um, the MOOCs. And as we said before, I've kind of been chasing you for a while now. So thank you for your patience as well. Oh, not at all. And thank you for asking me. It's been a pleasure. Take care. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the show, guys. And thank you, Sheila, for your time. I really enjoyed the conversation and hope you guys got something out of it as well. If you enjoyed today's episode, I would really appreciate it if you could share with your audience and or if you could leave me a review on the iTunes store. That is, if it served you some value at all. I shall leave you to it. Thank you very much for your time and I'll speak to you guys soon.